0: mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices message and data rates may apply bank of america and a member FDIC.
1: tidy up all the nooks and crannies of your body's basement but this year manscape can help you get the perfect presentation on that beautiful face with the new beard hedger pro kit make sure you look your best this spring by using code belly20 to get 20 percent off and free shipping at manscape.com so tame your mane with the beard hedger pro kit the sun is peeking back out which means you'll have to show your face in the daylight again So use the kit to make sure your scrub looks award winning, whether you have glorious beard flow or some smooth, sleek cheeks. Save 20% off and free shipping with the code Belly20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code Belly20 at manscaped.com. Focus on the face and use the Beard Hedger Pro Kit for the cleanest look in the game.
2: This is the M.D.'s Fantasy Football Show with Dan Mader,
0: giving you the X's
2: and O's of all things fantasy.
1: Hey, you guys, it's Thursday night, which means it's time for another edition of the M.D.'s Fantasy Football Show. We are marching on our fantasy football team profile series, and I don't know about you guys. But when I think NFL, I think the NFC South. When I think about high-flying action, I think about Derek Carr. When I want to be on the edge of my seat, I think about Desmond Ritter. I'm just kidding. By the way, guys, thanks for tuning in to our YouTube channel. Make sure you subscribe and hit the bell notification. That way you get notified whenever we have new content available to you. You can also stay up to date with the show on the go when you download us on your favorite podcast app. As always, I'm your host, Dan Mater. I have my two co-hosts today. They did not skip out on me. I got both of them. I got Chris Dowhower and I got Danielle Dubois. Guys, how you doing tonight?
0: I'm doing pretty good. I am sitting here in awe with the superstar Danielle rejoining us. I'm surprised she's not big timing us after being covering the WNBA draft. I'm trying the NBA draft last week. Yeah, how many hours yeah, did you get? Danielle,
3: I got all of none. Yeah. <laughs> It was really exciting, and I bet if I was in Brooklyn, it would have been a little bit more entertaining. However, sitting in the Hawks practice facility isn't as fun, so I deeply miss you guys.
1: (laughs) Well, we're glad to have you back. We do have a special guest, and let's get him introduced properly, shall we? And now, the moment you've all been waiting for, standing in the top right corner of your screen, the FSWA Football Writer of the Year finalist, host on Sirius XM, and the 2021 Kings Classic champion, Mr. Jim Coventry!
2: Oh my goodness, what an intro. Don't deserve it. Thank you. Happy
1: to be here. Really excited to work with the three of you. We're going to talk some football. We are going to talk some football. Now, while I was being facetious about the NFC South, it is the prime example as to why fantasy football is important for the NFL watching experience. Because otherwise, I wouldn't care. (laughs) I wouldn't care about these guys. But we care a lot about the players we're going to talk about. The one thing that does affect players, more so than I think people want to give it credit for, are the coaching changes. <laughs> Let's kick it off with the head one. Let's talk about Frank Reich. He leaves Indianapolis. It was abysmal. It was terrible. It was every negative term you want to use in a dictionary last year. Getting fired not even halfway through the year in Indianapolis. Now he takes over the Carolina Panthers job. And I find myself asking, okay, well, we, I think the question here has to be, has he lost his play-calling touch, or was last year just an anomaly? Did the wheels just fall off? I mean, I do want to point out that before last year, the Colts, they averaged over 25 points a game. So it's not like he didn't put out productive offenses in the past, but now he's got to rebuild. And it didn't go so well when they tried to retool things in Indianapolis. So, Jim, you're the guest. Let's start with you. What do you think the impact of Frank Reich is going to be on the, on the Carolina Panthers? I almost said the Colts there. So, Frank Reich,
2: and you started out with a question about what happened in Indianapolis. To me, it was fairly simple. They went in with a solid plan. They expected to have a really good offensive line. And they expected to bring in Matt Ryan, who would be protected, who they would have play action. They would have a great running game with Jonathan Taylor. And then Ryan, who is very good on play action, very good throwing in the middle of the field, would have Michael Pittman on slant routes. We would also have Paris Campbell out of the slot. And then take the occasional deep shot. He had Alec Pierce. What they couldn't foresee was both Ryan Kelly and Quentin Nelson, who had been outstanding linemen. Both of them, especially in pass blocking, they were a little better in run blocking. They had abysmal seasons that came out of nowhere, and they're young players. That is really where it began. And then, of course, Jonathan Taylor gets the early season high ankle sprain. Frank Reich never had a chance because once Matt Ryan wasn't comfortable, Matt Ryan was never going to be a successful quarterback. So your question was, what does he bring to Carolina? Frank Reich is phenomenal at understanding how to attack defenses based on formations and dictating box counts. So he has a rookie quarterback. We already know the ground game is important and Carolina has been building an offensive line the last few years, not a great line, but it's definitely, especially the tackles and the interior is at least adequate for run blocking. So they, they're giving, their squad a chance to be successful from day one they will want to run with miles sanders they're going to use him they're going to use play action to keep the quarterback comfortable they're going to use motion to keep defenses on on i'm sorry on on their heels off their heels so reich brings in these concepts and what the personnel he has it's not going to be a great offense but it's going to allow them to begin a growth concept over years i'm overall excited not this year but I think year two, we're going to see a much, much better offense.
1: It can't get much worse than that role. I, I, as bad yeah. as the Colts were, I, I still think Carolina have been, been worse to watch, honestly. And to your point, it's a multiple formation. They're going to be balanced. A 52-48% split is typically what he likes to bring to the table. Uh, Chris, I know you have some reservations about how you feel about Frank Reich. What, what do you think?
0: I love Jim and I love, you know, having our guest, but I'm not the disagree Jim. What I saw last year was that Matt Ryan wasn't comfortable because Frank Reich was asked to actually succeed in coaching. Before this, he had to use Philip Rivers and Philip Rivers' offense. All I could see Frank Reich do with all the motion and all different, you know, different sets he gets up is how's he gonna throw a three yard pass to a guy who can't make anything happen after the the catch? He was using his personnel poorly. They have two tight ends or over three hundred pounds basically and refuse to use any of them on top of the offensive line being not good last year, well, you have personnel to kind of offset that. Um, And then what I see in Carolina is another team that can't pass protect. Yes, they've done some improvement offensive line. I agree with you running block-wise, but I'm not a big fan of the the tackle, but they should be a guard in my opinion. Lacau was a good athlete. He's on a great left tackle, and I think it's going to be exposed that you're going to see that what Frank White is really good at, in my opinion, is excellent in the red zone. That's why he's the points that he's able to score. When he's a veteran quarterback who can get him in the red zone, then he can make something happen. But what I think he really struggles with, this is something I used to knock and read for until you know, basically more recently, was they're great at getting you three yards seven on a third and seven. And that's what I see a lot of happening. I see a lot of formations. I see a lot of different things, movement. I see a lot of personnel to get you three four yards. That's not what you're going to do to win in the NFL. And I think if Carolina thinks they're going to dink and dunk their way down, they're going to struggle being you know, competing in this division in the sense of just competing overall. I do think he has a good uh, vision yep. versus Matt Rule. So that part, I definitely agree that there's, there's a chance for year two to be much better than year one, but I'm not excited about what he necessarily brings as offensive mind.
1: Jim, this is what we call. Go ahead and rebuttal. So the, the tackles,
2: in my mind, are very good. Ike Akwondo was a rookie last year. They were going to be growing pains. That is going to happen in the NFL. There's a lot to learn. He, he was a player who was going to need some time. He um, needed to get experience, and it was on the job. Taylor Moton, very solid tackle. So I do believe, and I, I believe they were, I'm trying to think for PFF, but they were like the sixth best pass-blocking unit last year, and it was because of those tackles. And so, and that was with Akwondo being a – a rookie. So I do think that protection is going to be critical. Um, The tight end room, they're going to block more than catch. They did bring in Hayden Hurst. Fine, whatever. not going to be a huge factor. But um, again, I would say really along the lines, year two, they're getting, writing out their weapons. Terrace Marshall showed a little bit last year. Uh, they bring in Adam Thielen. He's toast. He has nothing left. He can't separate. I think he's out of a job a starting job by week three or week four, if even before then. So there are a lot of problems. But my line with Reich was, I said, second year they're gonna they're gonna have to get. Um, oh man, the second the Mingo, Jonathan Mingo, he is he if he gets deployed properly, I think he wasn't utilized well in college. A lot of times, college coaches kind of get tunnel vision with players; they're not as creative as they can be. I think he's a player that brings a unique skill set that they can use both outside and inside and create mismatches. And he's going to be a weapon. I I do think if DJ Char can stay healthy, he never does, but it's a good X receiver for them. But all that said, um, they're not going to be good this year. And so I don't disagree with Chris on that. But as I was saying year two, they're going to have to add some more personnel, but the direction they're taking, it will work for Reich. Eventually.
1: And that's what we'll get to see this year. Are they going in the right direction? Here's a team. We don't know what direction they're going in. They bring in Dave Canales. And, Danielle, you're going to help me out on this one. Dave Canales has never called plays, whether it be collegiate or NFL. He's given all this credit for what Geno Smith was able to accomplish last year as the quarterback coach. That's why he's the offense coordinator of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers this season. Where are you at? What do you think he brings to the table to this Bucs team?
3: I'm honestly pretty nervous because you're looking at a Tampa Bay Buccaneers without Tom Brady and who got mainly their success because of him. Before Tom Brady, there was no success in the Bucs franchise, really. We know that. Like, they were very disappointing. And – with Tom Brady, he brought a whole new level. Everybody was thinking about the Bucs and they were in competition. Now is the era where he's gone and he's not going to save you anymore. And they are losing all of their weapons on offense because of that. So why not add in some new blood and just try new things? I think this is not going to work out very well. I think... I think he does have the potential to call good plays, don't get me wrong, but looking at this offense and looking at its potential, it's not great, and then going into his first year as an offensive coordinator, it's just not destined for success, and if they do do well, I apologize deeply, because I just have no confidence in them this season.
1: Save that apology. You're not going to have to apologize. I'm, I'm going to tell you that right now. We're going to talk about Baker Mayfield <laughs> in the next segment, so I don't want to give too much away. But with Dave Canales and Baker Mayfield, and I just see this whole thing drip. You want to talk about offensive lines and what that can do to a coach, no matter what best laid scheme they can have. Ooh. We saw one or two injuries to Tampa Bay's offensive line last year, and everything went into the gutter in a hurry. I don't think any different this year. Right? Right. They don't have a lot of depth. Uh, Tristan Wirfs, and you're kind of grasping at straws with the rest. So I'm kind of with you. I don't like this move by Dave Canales. I think he got entirely too much credit for a journeyman quarterback having one year of success where we've seen those guys bounce back to reality time and time and time again. And again, he wasn't the one calling plays. And when we're trying to project, what do we think they're going to do? What are their tendencies going to be so we can figure out what kind of volume the rest of these players may or may not have? We don't have anything to go off of. The only thing we can say is that, well, he's been in the seattle system for a very long time so he'll probably bring some of that element with it multiple formations be a more balanced team and everybody all they hear especially when it comes to evans and godwin who we'll talk about later in the show is less and less and less volume so we'll talk about that in a second but let's go ahead and jump into the quarter It's not a fantasy Rushmore when it comes to the NFC South quarterbacks whatsoever. So I'm going to try to make this interesting when I ask these questions. We got Derek Carr joining the Saints. The one thing that's eluded Derek Carr his entire career is that he has not been able to get inside that top 12 fantasy football purposes. Jim is the Saints with their weapons, a key for Derek Carr to be able to achieve that. So
2: Joey Bosa summed up Derek Carr after a Monday night game a couple of years ago. He basically told the world what a lot of us already knew. Derek Carr will fold under pressure. He has to have protection. And if he doesn't, he really can't compete. Think how mind-numbing it was that the Raiders let Carr go during the season. I mean, what does that tell us that they let a top 20-type quarterback walk? with no questions asked. So they understand. Well, he goes to New Orleans, and here's the problem. Their offensive line could be extremely problematic. So Trevor Penning was a rookie, and we don't know what he's going to be yet. But on the early returns, run blocking's fine. He had no clue in pass protection. Now, that could change. Andres Pete, the left guard, he is way in the decline. Even though he's 29, he has struggled the last few years. They only have decent pass protection from Eric McCoy to center and Cesar Ruiz, the right guard. The only one who's decent is Ryan Ramchek at right tackle. He is a fine blocker. That's it though. So when they're in obvious passing situations, Derek Carr's in trouble because if teams especially load the offensive left side of the line, they're not going to have any answer for a good pass rush. And this year, you had mentioned earlier, Dan, the offensive line you mentioned with the Bucks Teams in general, it's always been problematic to have a bad offensive line. But last year, the big league shift to deal with teams trying to bust zone defenses was simulated pressures. Defenses where, first of all, they were not identifying what their defensive calls were until the snap. There was no defensive pre-snap motion. They weren't committing. They are waiting till the snap. And then they would start to rush one player, but back him off. They were coming from different places. This is not a world for Derek Carr. So the problem is this. Andy Dalton, cringe when I say this, okay, was a better fit for this offense than Derek Carr. Because Andy Dalton may be bad, but Andy Dalton will stare down the barrel until the last second. And he would wait and throw to Chris Olave. Derek Carr is going to be in the fetal position. On many of these, if he even gets the ball off, I am very concerned for Chris Olave's downfield game. Now, if they make adjustments and realize that Carr is not going to be able to handle pressure, Olave may get a lot more short and intermediate work. He may not get a lot of downfield work. That may be my necessity. That could be okay, but otherwise, they're going to have a hard time stretching the field because Carr can't do it.
0: Woo hoo! Shots fired, Chris. Do you have anything to add to that? I mean, I wasn't going to be on big on Derek Carr, but I got to defend Derek Carr just a little bit. And to say that Raider offensive line wasn't any good either. Um, right. And he was right. able to get the ball to Devontae Adams pretty consistently. So he can get the ball down the field somewhat, even with a pathetic offensive line. So, I, I, I mean, I don't think it's going to be as bad as, as Jim kind of saying. I'm not going to think it's going to be the game changing experience from Dan and my search of the means. Um, but I also think having Alvin Kamara check the ball down too will make it a little easier. Having different routes that so you can throw the ball to the guys so you can kind of involve and being in a dome, um, I think it's going to help to a degree too. So I think there are some positives for Derek Carr, but I also understand Jim's points of, you know, Derek Carr is a guy that you put gear in headlights. It, he's going to, he's definitely going to shake and he's definitely going to make some you know, errors. But as for different, like, you know, schematic wise, I do think there's some changes, Jim, and I definitely agree with what defenses are doing. But I also think this is stuff we saw like, you know, decades ago. It's basically just you're, you're not showing your coverages. I mean, that's what people are supposed to do in defensively. You're not supposed to necessarily dip your hand. Um, so I think their car can have some adjustment. I think having even having a connection John Gruden, if we want to go back, you know, 30 years, that actually helps you in a sense because you can start game plan like you used to back and then, still could work today. Um, so I do think there is some hope for him in New Orleans. But I don't think this is going to be Derek Carr getting inside the top 12 as he asked Dan.
1: Yeah, I'll I'll add to this just to wrap up Derek Carr and move to Bryce Young. The the pace of play would have to pick up. They're one of the slowest offenses across the entire NFL last year. And even though he had Devontae Adams, who was the wide receiver two overall, and even though he had Josh Jacobs, who was the RB1 overall, he was still not fantasy relevant. He would need another option. And that only other option would maybe be Michael Thomas for what the two games he plays this year. So I, I don't see the Saints. Yeah, one thing
0: though, Dan. Sure. He, he also had Josh McDaniels. So I just want to throw that in there. Other guys that he had.
1: I don't know if Pete Carmichael's any better. I'm just I'm just gonna, I'm just going to put don't, that. On you're there. not no stronger than me here. I definitely understand that point. <laughs> let's talk about Let's talk about Bryce Young, the rookie, the number one pick, the guy everyone's. Super excited for right goes to Carolina. It's all part of that rebuild that process we've been talking about uh, being that we're not necessarily focusing on this from a dynasty perspective for these shows because we've kind of moved past that we had our draft specials. We talked about the rookies. We had a rookie mock draft. We're kind of shifting more into best ball and redraft with this type of show. We're not expecting much out of Bryce Young this year from a fantasy perspective, right? He doesn't run like an Anthony Richardson does. There's not a lot of weapons, as Jim laid out earlier before, on the Carolina team. So, Danielle, I have more of, I guess, a general NFL question for you. What is your general expectation? What would be a good performance for a Bryce Young this season? Is it 3,000 yards, 3,500 yards, 4,000 yards? What do you think his range is?
3: You know, I'm for this season particularly, <laughs> I don't think he's going to get that many yards. I feel like he's going to get around the seven or eight touchdowns. I'm going to keep it in single digits. Cause I have low only hopes. seven
1: or eight touchdowns. That would be I ungodly
3: godly low because I think it's going <laughs> to be, be a lot Ritter of running. <laughs> okay. At the beginning of the season, I think it's going to start off low, but I do think <laughs> that it's going to be a lot of running touchdowns in this offense. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of passing touchdowns from him personally, so this season, I think it's going to be very low in his statistics. Now, I think maybe not that much. I think I was being a little bit mean at first, being over dramatic, <laughs> make a point here. Right, I'm covering but...
1: the Atlanta Falcons now. I don't care about the Carolina Panthers. Right,
3: <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, I have to have a little bit of vengeance, right? <laughs> no, but in all seriousness, I am, though, a little bit concerned Yes, he is a rookie, so you can't have the highest expectations, but he is a little bit on the smaller size, so it is very nerving seeing a rookie come into the NFL at that size and having these ginormous defenders coming after them. Not that he didn't have that in college, but it's to a different extreme when, you know, T.J. Watt is in the NFL and you're going to have to face him. It's a little bit concerning for me, so I have... Low hopes for him this season. I think overall in his career, I think he will be a pretty mediocre and pretty consistent quarterback, just not right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, Chris, you brought this point up earlier about Frank Reich being really good in the red zone. And the one thing I've noticed, particularly when you watch Kyler Murray play and some other shorter quarterbacks, they seem to have a much harder time in the red zone. This is why ultimately I don't think this works out with Bryce Young and Frank Reich.
0: Yeah no, I know I totally, yeah, no, I totally agree. I mean, I don't. I think Bryce Young and, and Daniel Tan hit in the head. That's where the height part does kick in. When you have to stand in the pocket and make a throw, and you don't have the kind of the field to kind of see through the different guys or you can't create your own lanes, it is a problem. Now, maybe Frank Reich will help in that aspect, um, but I think where you're going to have really see the struggle is about the playmakers to kind of throw the ball up to in a sense. I don't think one's good in the red zone, so I can't say he can't do anything in there. D.J. Sharks tall but they don't really have a guy that they can kind of bank on in the red zone. And this is a team that's going to really need that. I think Daniel's actually not really far from the touchdown total for Bryce Young this year. I mean, what did, what did Kenny Pickett do? What did Matt Ryan do last year? So do we really have any faith that Bryce Young can be better than either of those guys?
1: It, it, it was still more than eight or nine. <laughs> so I'll go, I'll go with it that far. I, I, here's a question for Jim. And this will tell me how much I like Jim. I think I like Jim a lot, but let's see here. <laughs> Jim, were you on Bryce Young or were you on C.J. Stroud? I'm on C.J. Stroud, and it's not close. Love you. Love you. Yeah. Bryce Young
2: <laughs> – all right, here's the problem. His weight – I know he combined out of 204, sugar weight. He's a 190 frame guy. And we talk about shorter quarterbacks. Drew Brees was stout for his eyes. He could take a bit of a pounding. He was okay. The problem with Bryce Young is going to be that there's, like, no re- reliable – like. Example of a player of that size and stature, especially the weight, holding up through the NFL—that's going to be a problem. He has so he's got to be an outlier, and I'll never bet on a player being an outlier. That's like the main issue, and I know Chris pointed out the vision thing. At five ten, the problem is seeing the middle of the field, and so. Reich's going to have to use not just play action but boot action. You've got to get him to the outside because you're going to have to throw to the perimeter more. He may not be able to see the middle of the field. So, I, I again, the believers in young will bet on an outlier, but I'll never bet on a player being that.
1: Totally, totally agree, guys. We're just going to move to the running backs here because we'll talk about Desmond Ritter and Baker Mayfield more about what their impact is on the other skill position players. <laughs> It was more about the fact I couldn't contain myself because I've been itching to talk about this guy. This is going to be the highlight of the show, Bijan Robinson. What is too high to rank Bijan Robinson? I don't think there's an answer to that. I'll go on the record. I do have still have CMC number one, but if I had cojones, I would put Bijan number one. I want to. I can't. I can't quite get. I can't quite get there. Can't quite get there. Atlanta's offense. Uh, I'm sorry. San Francisco's offense is still. Superior to Atlanta, and that's ultimately my tiebreaker. But when I look at Josh Jacobs last year, who had 393 opportunities, the only other running back that I could ever see flirting with 400 opportunities would be Bijan. They were the number one rushing team last year, 118 more carries than the league average. Tyler Algier had a thousand yards, Cordell Patterson was fantasy relevant, and Arthur Smith. He'll ride his horse. Derrick Henry had 72% of the team carries in 2020, which is an astronomical number when you look at that run heavy of a team. He's not afraid to ride his guy. And Bijan has the eighth pick capital overall. Jim, is there any way in your mind he's just not the workhorse bell cow? Because there's some people out there saying, like, oh, Algier's going to get involved. I-, I don't buy it. I don't buy it. From an economic and business standpoint, You don't use
2: the number eight pick in a draft if you don't have an exact plan for using a player. And you mentioned they had like 579 carries. Even, let's say, crazy world, he only got 60% of those. That's over 300 carries. That would only be 60%. So he doesn't even have to be the bell cow in that. And Atlanta was running the ball when they were losing by 20 points in games. So they're going to run. And Arthur Smith believes in positionless football. That hurt Kyle Pitts, but they bring in Jonu Smith. He's going to be an H-back probably. Um, they're going to utilize him in motion to block. They are going to probably move Robinson out at times into the slot. They're going to use their players in so many different ways. So, the that, I mean, the only question is what we've never seen him on NFL field, but that's always a question. But we saw Tyler Algier, a fifth-round pick. 4.9 yards per carry because they block it up so well with multiple formations, trickery, and and they're not going to stop it. So, yeah, obviously, going in the first round of every draft, I'm, I don't have a lot of shares. I'm tending to go receiver in the first round more often than running back. But, again, could he flame out? Yes, we've seen it happen at rookie running backs who are great in college. And I don't like that his yards per carry in college went from 8.2 and then, 5.8 and 6.1, and he, as great of a receiver he said to be, he never had seven yards per reception. Those things worry me. But volume and circumstance are going to be great.
1: Yeah, I think that has more to do with Texas than anything else. I got to get the insider of Atlanta on our panel here. How high are you going to draft Bijan this year?
3: Oh, let me tell you, I'm very hopeful in him. I really like this kid, and I always have. And then I saw him get drafted by Falcons. And I said, "What are you doing? You don't need a running back." But then I also took a step back and realized, how could you not like you? There's you can't just pass him by. It's Bijan Robinson. He's just a different kind of running back, and he is so versatile and just everything you you just love everything about him, and you just cannot pass him up. They would be regretting that for the rest of their lives if they passed him up. So I love the pick. I do feel sorry for Corderell and Tyler O'Dear now that have to deal with that because that is definitely lowering their shares. But I mean, it's Bijan Robinson. You can't, I feel very confident in taking him. And so what, even if he is a rookie, doesn't have the best season, I'm still trying to draft him because how can I not? I would be stupid to, to pass him by as well. So, you know what? I'm very confident in him. And standing on these side of these mini camps and OTAs, let me tell you, I love the dude. Seeing his speed in real life is just, it's beautiful. I think everybody needs to witness it.
1: I, I wish I could, and you should invite me sometime so that I can. Chris, I have him right ahead of Austin Eckler. Do you agree or disagree with that?
0: Well, I agree with Austin Eckler. Um, I don't necessarily agree with everybody else's take of how high to take Bijan Robinson, but I definitely do agree that he's going over F. Eckler in my book. So, who would you have him under? I guess mm-hmm. it's when we talk about Christian McCaffrey. I mean, I think there's some other guys. I think that he should look. I love Bijan Robinson. I think that you guys made a lot of points about who did last year. I think this year, and Jim hit the nail on the head. They're playing positionless football, and I think that the league isn't ready for this. If the league can't handle defenses disguising their coverages. Imagine what they're going to do with his personnel groupings they're going to see out there defensively. So I think what you're going to see Atlanta do, and he's skip over Desmond Ritter, I think Desmond Ritter is going to shock a lot of people. I think Atlanta in general is going to shock a lot of people because this offense is going to be ahead of the curve in a sense where defenses aren't going to be ready for it. And with the position of the football part, Bijan Robinson is going to be that second receiver. Everybody's worried about who's the second receiver for Atlanta. It doesn't matter. It's going to be Bijan Robinson. It's going to be Cordell Patterson. It's going to be whoever they kind of rotate out there. Janu Smith uh, Pitt's they have so many different guys that they can personnel you with and match up, get key matchups with. I agree with Jim's point. It does concern me Bijan didn't look explosive as people kind of make him the be just because, look, the numbers, they did decline, and it wasn't, you know, he wasn't just that like catching the ball made the constantly. So there is some chinks in the armor in a sense. Um, <clears throat> but I do think Bijan obviously to get his fair share of the carries. I think he's going to definitely be very involved in this offense. Whether that's going to be rushing the ball all the time, I don't know that's going to always be the case. But I think he's a guy that costs an echo. You kind of mentioned that he's going to bring a little bit of everything to the table. and I think that's going to be his value. Now, where I think he kind of falls short is when you have guys like a Nick Chubb or Christian McCaffrey that are just offenses and have roles that are clearly set up for them. If they're going to get the ball in the red zone from hell or high water, then that's where I kind of think that his touchdowns is going to be what kind of falls short for me, like myself, but the touches would be Sean Robinson.
1: Well, see, I don't, I, don't, I don't worry about the touchdowns. Because when you look at Atlanta, while their offense in general doesn't score a ton, they were still 10th in the league in rushing touchdowns. So if you're going to funnel it through the running game, which Arthur Smith is going to do, that's his that, that's his forte. That's what he does once they get inside the 5, I think it's actually the 7 or 8-yard line. Once they get inside there, it's ground and pound time, baby. They may not put up a ton of t- team touchdowns total, but there will be enough scores, I believe, there for Bijan Robinson, which is why I have no fear about him going with Austin Eckler. We do got to move on, though. We got to talk about these other running backs. The, the one thing this division does have a plethora of is running backs that are interesting to us from a fancy perspective. Another guy, Rashad White. Now he's in a similar boat as he could be looking at a ton of volume. But we do have some questions about his efficiencies because he didn't get over four yards a carry last year. And when he was kind of given the opportunity to pull himself away from Leonard Fournette wasn't quite able to do it and I do have some questions does he have the body type I know if you just look at it on a computer he has the size of a guy that okay that that seems like a big enough for today's bell cow type of running back but when you look at his body build and Chris you and I talk about this all the time build matters more so than what your stat sheet size says it is it's how you're built he's very lean in the legs always kind of bothers me a little bit when running backs are very lean in the legs. I worry about them being holed up in durability situations if he gets that volume, but I do like the fact that he can catch the ball. I do like the fact that there's nobody else in this depth chart. I care about chase Edmonds, Keyshawn Vaughn. Are you kidding? I, no, I don't care. So he's going to get a ton of volume. Jim, where are you comfortable drafting a guy like this? Who's going in about uh, FFPC about the third, fourth round area here about RB 2022 is that good enough value for you, or do you worry about the long haul with him?
2: Yeah, I am worried about the long haul with him, and I do not like what I saw last year. You mentioned the skinny legs. He had an eighth, number eight, like eight, eighth percentile broken tackle rate, 36 percentile yards after contact. I know the line wasn't good, but he was not a good running back, in, and I get it. He can catch the ball, and I know you blew off Chase Edmonds, and I get it, Chase Edmonds before last year was a very good timeshare running back at the Cardinals. He just was in the wrong system in Miami. He had no clue how to run that system. He was lost from day one. I know he had a high ankle sprain in Denver when he got traded, but when he was on the field late in the season, he looked more like the running back he did in Arizona in those limited touches. So to me, he acquitted himself in that little bit of work, with Denver to show that Miami was just a bad fit for him. So in this situation, Chase Edmonds is an accomplished receiver. And I know Rashad White shows he has flashes of being a receiver. With Edmonds' experience, I think that he carves into that role. I, and I think more as a receiver. We just can't dismiss those Arizona days, and he's not – Edmonds is not old. So, I, again, it could go either way in camp, but I don't think Rashad White did enough for the coaching to have to say – guaranteed your job, that's it. And I think people are treating, and I know he's not getting drafted with the top running backs, but he's getting treated as if he is going to be the bell cow back, getting 15 to 20 touches a week. I don't know that that happens.
0: Chris, you want to add to that? You no, know, I agree with you both. I mean, Dan, we talked about this coming when our draft shows were shot white. Well, we weren't big on him as everybody else was in the fantasy world because he didn't run the ball in college. That's the problem. He can catch the ball, no problem. But as Jim alluded to it, and make you do what after he catches the ball. He doesn't make people miss. He doesn't have great build. And, Dan, it's not just the build that you have. It's about how you're running style. He runs high. That's why he can't break any tackles. So I think when you look at Rashad White, I'm with Jim. I think Chase Edmonds can cut into that snaps. And I also think there's some guys on the streets right now that can still line up in Tampa Bay at some point during the season They can steal some snaps at some point, too. So I'm I'm not a big on Rashad White as everybody else seems to be.
1: Yeah, those elusive running backs of free agency right now are just a rain cloud over everything, trying to protect some of these running backs. Danielle, one-word answer, or, yeah, one-word, one two-word one two word answer, actually. Alexander Madison or Rashad White? Madison. Okay, love it. How about Miles Sanders? This is another guy that we are kind of looking at as possibly being a bell cow back. He stayed healthy last year. That was the first time he's ever been able to do it. He did have a very good season, over a 1,000 yards, 13 touchdowns. I did put out on social media a couple days ago that it's been three years since the guy's had a receiving touchdown, and whether that's his fault, the team's fault, we're going to find out in Carolina because there's not a lot of weapons to go over around right now when it comes to Miles Sanders. But I did have this thought. when, When everyone's telling me that Miles Sanders is definitely going to be the bell cow, I'm like, well, it's not really Frank Reich's history if you actually think about it. I mean, even with Jonathan frickin' Taylor... The guy still had Naeem Hines out target him both in 2021 or 2020 and in 2021, 133 to 98. He still found ways to take him off the field as good as Jonathan Taylor was. Now, I'm not a big fan of Chuba Hubbard, but some people are. Some people liked his abilities. He does a lot of similar things to a Miles Sanders. So I'm going to ask Danielle this question Is he a bell cow or are we all being fooled right now?
3: You know, I personally am going to believe he's a bell cow because I can just it's not first of all it's Miles Sanders like you know he's a pretty consistently good running back and you can trust him with getting the job done and I just hope that they know that we have a rookie quarterback that might not be doing the best and that is going to be getting tackled a crap ton and we need to be creating holes instead for our running game and let Sanders just carry the ball down the field in order for our best opportunities for scoring and i hope that they notice that and i don't know if they'll be through preseason and just kind of testing it out and seeing what works but hopefully by the first week of nfl they say hey we're gonna let sanders kind of carry it out here and we can train you a little bit more young before you we really send you out there and test you out too much so i personally am gonna believe it and i feel really confident in sanders this season i wouldn't necessarily draft him as an rb1 but definitely a good rb2 i would say
1: Jim, are you in line with the with the FFPC right now with their ADP having him about RB twenty two?
2: I think that's a fair ranking because we understand the value of targets. Now, Miles Sanders went for over five hundred receiving yards as a rookie, and Philadelphia phased him out for whatever reason they chose to do that. I think they felt like they needed to manage his workload. You think they'd give him more receiving work, but they did like his ability behind that line to run, and navigate the blocks, and he was able to make some things happen. Even last year, they, when they had to use him heavy, they did, and when they didn't need to, they backed off his workload. That's how they got him through the season healthy. But in his new situation, the draft cost is good because the initial talk out of camp, I believe, I believe they do want to use him as a receiver, and that is what elevates his status. Chuba Hubbard From what I know of Miles Sanders is a rookie receiver, and that's been a few years, but I don't think Chuba Hubbard is anywhere in the stratosphere of Sanders as a receiver. So even if Sanders was splitting the early down work, if he was the primary receiver, and I have to think with their rookie quarterback being small and probably trying to keep him from getting overwhelmed, I would think the screen to the running back is going to be a big part of that offense. So I think the ADP based on receiving
1: is fine. I tend to agree with you. I think that's going to be the big leap. We haven't been able to see it, like you said, since his rookie year. He's going to get those receiving yards, which if he's not getting the touchdowns, not getting double the touchdowns, that's going to be okay. And it'll kind of balance itself out. My only reservation still would be, I don't believe Miles Sanders is a guy that we can bet on being healthy. Last year was the first year he was able to do it. This is not the same offensive line. I have Ooh. questions about that, but, You can say that about any running back. Ultimately, I'm with you. I do have him ranked right now at RB23. So I'm pretty much right in line with the ADP as of this moment. Chris, help me out, man. We love Kamara, and he's breaking my heart. He's just breaking it all over the place. I mean, eighth round ADP, for me, I'm I'm viewing that as we're expecting at least a six-game suspension. Right. Because if it's 10 games, it's going to be even lower than that, because it's going to be too hard to get a guy that we don't even know what his role is necessarily going to be when he comes back. If it's after 10 games, he's going to to die further than that. I feel like that ADP has a six game suspension involved. So let's take it from that standpoint. If Kamara is suspended for six games, is he a steal in the eighth round?
0: That's a tough one. I don't think he's necessarily a steal, but I think he's the guy that, depending on what you have on your team, could you know, be a guy that you definitely take a shot on um, because it could be the game changer for you. I mean, Alvin Kamara, while he hasn't been good the last two years, I attribute a lot of that to, you know, you talk about Pete Carmichael and some of the players they have around him. I also think that just wasn't healthy. Um, and everything I'm hearing out of campus, camp is Alvin Kamara does look healthy, does look good. And this is where I do think Derek Carr might help him as well because as long as Derek Carr's out there, there's some checkdowns coming. And Alvin Kamara was actually going to have some opportunity versus last year where they figured out where well, he's not throwing the ball for some reason. Um, so I think this is a good thing for Alvin Kamara as long as he's out there and it could be a guy you definitely want in your lineup. because he could definitely win you a couple games here or there. And if he's in your lineup for you know, three or four wins, that's worth it in eighth round.
1: I tend to agree. I, 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 I'm targeting him in that section. First of all, he's a flex running back at that point. I can live with six games for a flex running back at that point especially one that I know is going to be involved in the passing game. I like Kendra Miller. We know what Jamal Williams is, but they're they're kind of the same running back. They're the bruiser. They're the grinder. They're short yardage guys. Kamar should still have that receiving role. And Jim's point, you know, about Derek Carr crawling up in the fetal position, well, one thing you tend to do when you do that as a quarterback, you check it down to the running back. And there was times last year where it was just blowing my mind And I had to double check this. Kamara did have 77 targets. It sure as hell didn't feel like it. That's for sure, because the way they used him in bunches and then didn't use him at all in that capacity for the rest of the game. I don't think that's an issue this year with Derek Carr. Jim, you're more of an insider than we are. But what I've been hearing is that, well, we think we can run the closest thing to the Drew Brees offense as possible with Derek Carr in there. That, to me, sounds like a lot of checkdowns, no? See, the deal with Kamara...
2: When Kamara was the fantasy superstar of the world, we had Sean Payton, who was a master designer of the screen game. We had Drew Brees, who was probably one of the best three quarterbacks ever at throwing screens to lead his running back exactly into the space he needed to get into. Kamara was always put into immediate run-after-the-catch territory in the perfect position. And so... Also, we knew that Sean Payton purposely limited Kamara's carries. Give him those 81 catches a year. There was a line, John Hansen had actually talked to Payton and asked him about why he didn't get carries. And Payton said, because Kamara's soft. Now, he didn't mean that completely that way. But he, what he meant was, this is not a guy running between the tackles. But if you notice the last couple of years, his rushing has gone up, his attempts per game and his receptions and targets have gone down. Now, he again, however much time he missed with suspension, we don't know how that's going to happen there. But I am concerned the quality of the screen pads. If we're talking dump-offs, that's not Camara's game. And Camara was never the type of player who was going to age gracefully. This was an explosive, and I know he's 215, but he's not that burly 215 guy. And we've seen his PPR points per game go from number two, to number seven and last year number 14 as they're easing off the passing game usage I just don't get the quality of passes to be there but if you're drafting him where you're talking yes of course you could take him there because like you mentioned it's a flex you know spot in the draft and if you have him on the field he is going to contribute so nothing wrong with picking it's just that He is probably on the down slope of his career and being further removed from Peyton and from Breeze hasn't helped him.
1: Yeah, and his efficiencies have all come back down to the about the average of the NFL running back right now. So it does show that he might be getting close to get off a (laughs) cliff. We've spent years drafting Tampa Bay Buccaneer wide receivers. We spent years drafting Mike Evans, the 1,000-yard machine himself, making a case eventually I think he should be in the Hall of Fame, and we'll see if he actually gets that chance or not. But the problem now is that you have Baker Mayfield and a rookie play caller that you had to contest with. And Baker last year, 30th in deep ball temps, 28th or actually I have that backwards, 28th in deep ball attempts, 30th in red zone attempts. That's the opportunities for Mike Evans. That's what he does. Deep balls in red zone, and you got the worst quarterback you could possibly get for that situation. I love you, Mike Evans, from the bottom of my heart, but right now, buddy, I got you at wide receiver 35, and that's just like inceremonial. I'm not going to take him at wide receiver 35. I'm going to take guys like Traylon Burks or, you know, people like that who have more upside in that same territory. I'm not going to take them. I'm not. So I guess more of this, you know, what, what do you guys think about Mike Evans? Danielle, we'll kick this to you first. Do you feel the same way about Chris Godwin? Because this is somebody who's still getting drafted inside the top 24 wide receivers. Do you think he's still going to be able to reach that floor? <sighs>
3: I don't know. I'm just so low on this Tampa Bay team. And I feel really bad saying that because I know Godwin and Evans are both very talented receivers, but with the quarterback situation at hand in Tampa Bay, I just have very low hopes going into this season. I think not only is Evans going to dip off, but so is Godwin. I think that Baker will try his best and they will get some but not enough to be absolutely substantial for anything fantasy wise. And I just am looking at any other wide receiver for a wide receiver three or a fill in or literally any other wide receiver. I feel like I'm looking at other than the Tampa Bay team. And I hate to say that because Evans has been on my fantasy team for, I think the past three years now. So it is definitely going to be hard for us all to adjust, but um, yeah, it's going to be a major dip off for both. I think.
1: Yeah, I do have Godwin ranked at my 20th spot. I'm actually a little higher in ADP. Now, this might burn me. It burned me last year. But I thought DJ Moore would be safe with Baker because that's the area of the field he targets, short and intermediate. So I'm going to go with that again. I'm going to say, look, I know this is where you go with the ball. When you do throw the ball, that should be Godwin territory. I think Godwin is safe enough floor to still be a low-end wide receiver, too. Chris, what do you think?
0: I still I say give them both to me. Um, you guys, I, I hear what you're saying, Danielle, but I watched Tom Brady for a last year. So, I mean, I don't think Tom Brady was bringing a whole lot down the field, and he definitely wasn't targeting Mike Evans consistently. Mike Evans still is a guy worth having on your fantasy team. Um, and, Dan, maybe you could attribute to this, but Johnny Manziel got drafted despite, you know, we thought coming out of the draft. A big reason was he threw to Mike Evans. Mike Evans can make quarterbacks look good because he can catch kind them of up, he makes big plays, make big plays. Baker Mayfield isn't a great quarterback. I'm not kind of trying to argue that he is. I'm not impressed with the Rams stretch. But I do think Chris Godwin, and you keep crapping on the defensive coordinator, there's a lot of guys who didn't call plays necessarily. He was a passing coordinator passing coordinator for the team. And if you look at the system, DK Metcalf was only considered a guy who can run deep or be used in the red zone. But last year he wasn't. So maybe they can have a role for Mike Evans because Mike Evans isn't a one-trick pony. Um, so I do think there's a volume for him, and and Chris Godwin, if if Baker Rayfield is decent, um, and I, I say that if, but we watched Jarvis Landry have a pretty good stretch there in Cleveland. Um, you know OBJ wasn't very happy, but Jarvis Landry was doing pretty well. History so. at this point. It, it could be, but <laughs> you don't, we're going off basically what we saw from Carolina last year, um, and there's also a team that maybe DJ Moore wasn't running those routes. Dan, we watched you know, Robbie Anderson and and DJ Moore switch routes for no reason the year before. So I don't know necessarily what routes he was running last year. I just know if Baker Mayfield is the starter for the season, which means he was decent enough to be so, then I think there's a good chance that both these guys are going to be pretty successful because they're going to be targeted. I mean, we watched, look at Kyle Lockett and DK Metcalf last year. They get the ball to the two outside receivers. That's what the offense focuses on doing. I don't think that's necessarily going to change. Now it's not going to be pretty, but I think that you're going to get their targets and they're going to get their balls. And both those guys are very talented if that happens.
1: Very fair points if Dave Canales can, in fact, replicate what Shane Shane Waldron did last year. Jim, what do you think? So
2: I'm lukewarm on Evans. I'm not targeting him in drafts. Prefer not to draft him. I have him ranked lower than his ADP by a few spots. That means I'm not getting him. I think there's a chance that Mayfield can work with him. I didn't like the 21st percentile yards after the catch because Evans was catching more shorter stuff, but there were a few catches. There weren't a lot of balls going his way. New offensive coordinator, don't know what changes there. The problem is if the offensive line isn't going to be good, downfield stuff doesn't develop. Like Chris said, they can use Evans in different ways. He is 30 years old now, and maybe that's going to be a tough, trick for him to pull to be more versatile as I just I'm just conflicted enough to where I'm just out but if somebody's drafting I'm not going to say bad move because certainly they could make something work for him Godwin's the player I'm on though Godwin we sometimes I think forget He came back last year from a serious knee injury in December of the prior year. He came back in a big hurry. And so, yeah, he got his 100 catches, but his yards per reception below his career average. And sure, Brady had to get the ball faster than ever because he didn't trust the line. But Godwin wasn't himself last year. He was very good, but not nearly. This year, a year removed. Remember, this is a guy that has 74th percentile agility, and he's shown that through his career. He has 89th percentile speed. And this is a guy that can get open at a blink of an eye. He will be exactly where he needs to be on the play calls. And that's what Baker Mayfield needs. Mayfield needs somebody to be where they're expected to be and be there on time. That is going to make that a very big relationship between the two. And Godwin could win despite whatever the coverage is. He can win from the outside. He can win from the slot. So I think he is going to be a target monster and I think he is the steal of the draft this year.
1: Jim, you said he needs to be on time and you know where he's going to be. I'll add one more to that. The defender also has to fall down. Otherwise, I don't know if Baker Mayfield's going to get him the ball. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: you know, the problem that Mayfield had, especially with Odell Beckham, because Beckham, remember, he's always waving his hand, I'm open. Mayf- Mayfield couldn't deal with Beckham because Beckham was one of the greatest freelancers in the game. Mayfield was never going to work with a freelancer. So I get what you're saying. But when he had Jarvis Landry, who, again, not maybe to Godwin's level, but he was able to get Jarvis Landry the ball, right, for the most part. So this is a better version of that. But I get what you're saying.
1: Yeah, it just scares me. He wasn't able to get D.J. Moore the ball. And that's where my reservation comes in. But I still have Godwin ranked at 20th. I'm not too far down on him. Let's talk about the Saints wide receivers. Uh, Olave. Sophomore breakout or slump? That's always the question when we talk about these second-year wide receivers. And I know Jim hit on it with with car, he's not efficient down the field. But well, he did have the fifth most deep ball pass attempts last year. He tried to give Devontae Adams opportunities down the field. And that's more than I can say for Andy Dalton. So from that standpoint, as long as you give me a a few more opportunities down the field, he's already proven he can do everything else. Right now, he's ADP, I think, at wide receiver 13. I have him ranked at wide receiver 12. I go back and forth between him and Devontae Smith at that rate, that range kind of deal. I have T. Higgins and Jalen Waddell just in front of them would uh, where are you at on that, Jim? So I know Chris
2: mentioned the Raiders line last year. Their tackles were really good. Colton Miller was playing at a very high level. And Jermaine, and I'm going to butcher his last name, umanor I got his name a little bit off. Sorry about that. But he was really above average. It was their interior that was a problem. So when they were designing anything that did happen to go downfield, he was protected from his tackles. So that did help him. With, unless Trevor Penning makes a big, big, big jump forward, Ramchek's fine on the right. But the rest of that line, like I said before, is kind of a train wreck unless they get something crazy up in their advantage. So Olave is going to have to be developed into that again, short intermediate guy. And if they can make that transition, he could have a monster season because Carr is going to throw the ball. I mean they run at a slow pace, like you mentioned earlier, but he will be so far the alpha. I'm not sold on Michael Thomas being healthy, but another story for another day. But um Olave's gonna get his targets as long as they modify the offense to make sure Olave gets it because he can win anywhere. He's a legitimate superstar. Now I have McQua at running, I mean sorry, wide receiver 13, which means I'm not getting shares of him, but I could see the upside.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I don't have a lot of shares of Chris Olave because of where he's being drafted right there, and there's other things I wound up attacking, like usually running back at that point because you're talking second, third round, starting off early at wide receiver. That's all going to be about how you guys wind up drafting in your leagues this year. Uh, I want to move to Atlanta because uh, Michael Thomas, we, we can talk about that another day. Let's, let's move to Atlanta. Let's talk about Drake London. And we, we, he, this is where we get – I want Danielle and I want Chris here because Chris has more faith in Desmond Ritter, Danielle, inside on the Atlanta, so you guys can help me out. But I don't have faith in Desmond Ritter. The guy had a nine-touchdown pace on the seven, for 17 games last year. I, I don't have faith in the guy. I'm sorry. I, I it, was, it was terrible football I watched out there. And, yes, he went after Drake London every game at a high target share rate, 100%, but he also didn't have Kyle Pitts to go to. I don't think this guy can make two reads. I really don't. So I think one game is going to be Drake London. I think one game is going to be Kyle Pitts. I don't think you ever know when's going to come. And that's my problem when you talk about Drake London being drafted as the wide receiver 25 right now. I love him. I think he's a budding superstar if they just had an average quarterback. But I can't rank him higher than wide receiver 30th because of the inconsistent play that I see coming. Danielle and then Chris.
3: Okay, I feel like I have a lot to say. First of all, I want to touch on the Desmond Ritter point just quickly. I know it's the wide receiver section, but I just have to back that up. He also was not a starting quarterback at that time and just didn't have a lot of time to necessarily prepare to be that main guy. I think he didn't start off great. And obviously, when you're just kind of thrown in behind Mariota, you're not really destined to succeed. I feel like anything's better than Mariota, though. I do feel like this is a new level for him though I feel like he's starting fresh this season him being the starting quarterback will be completely different so I have more hope in that than you um but Drake London it is a little bit um concerning for fantasy wise because of the amount of weapons that Atlanta has they are very stacked up on the offense it is not um it's not hard to see obviously um I do have More hope, though, in London than Pitts this season. Obviously, Pitts is coming off of injury. We don't really know how that is going to work out and everything. But London has looked really good. He's looked really good last season, and he can always find himself open. I feel like he's very talented. He has the speed. He has the agility for it. I think him and Desmond have been working on the connection kind of nonstop throughout the offseason. So I feel like Drake London is a solid choice, and I will most likely be picking him up on my fantasy team.
1: Okay, Chris, I know you want to defend Ritter, too.
0: Well, thank you, thank you, thank you, Daniel. Because cool I stand out a little hard on Desmond Ritter there. Desmond Ritter finished his season decently compared to what Marcus Mariota, did at the passing game, versus Desmond Ritter didn't pass the game, like today. Um, well, but I do think Drake London, in a sense, I think he's a superstar. So I think when you're a smart coach, you're going to get the ball a superstar. I think Arthur Smith, what he did last year, is that he put... His team and try to give them identity. And decide when we're down 21, we're going to run the ball because we're going to be able to do that if we need to. I think this year you see now get, they're going to kind of take the, the, the weight off everybody and let it, everybody kind of flow. Drake London can line up anywhere on that on that field basically and be a, a threat. By the, way, the formations, the team is that Atlanta probably going to use Drake London. Can line up in the slot. You can line up on the outside. He's six foot five. He's a beast and in the red zone. He's making catches. He makes you miss after catches the ball. So we watched A.J. Brown thrive under Arthur Smith and get the ball week in, week out, despite what I was around him. I think Drake was Did he thrive, be that. though? Because that's the point I'm going to bring. That finishes good, but I'm going to bring up A.J. Brown. So I think that he's going to be that week in, week out guy that he's going to be involved, and that's going to be their alpha, in the passing attack, and then everything kind of falls off of that, and you guys eat off of that, in a sense. And I think that's going to give him this role where it's not gonna, always going to be a different guy each week it's going to be Drake London's, you will know, get the most targets first, and then everybody else kind of eats. Um, John will be the guy in the backfield. All right,
1: so my, my thing with A.J. Brown, he was very good – with Arthur Smith, but there was always that level they couldn't seem to get over the hump because they wouldn't use him consistently when they should have been, especially in the red zone at times and there'd be inexplicably games where he's getting six targets and nothing more than that. A.J. Brown's never supposed to be that guy. He goes to Philadelphia Eagles where there's actually more weapons, more mouths to feed in a run-first offense and goes off the chain because he has a coaching staff that actually gets him the football. I think Arthur Smith knows how to get his runners the football. I don't think he gets pass catchers consistently the football. Jim, you want to break this Ty,
2: yeah, it's tough one to call. I love Drake London. I don't have any shares yet, it's just happened in drafts that he's either snapped up right before a picking or I want a running back at that point of the draft. But the thing with London is, and we talk about Chris talked earlier about the positionless football in Atlanta. London, and I know this doesn't help his fantasy case, but he's a great blocker with his size, and then you move him inside in the slot, so he's going to get some mismatches when they make it look like he's a blocker, but he's a receiver that said, I wonder how much volume he actually does get, but I'm willing to bet on the fact that Atlanta could surprisingly have a high scoring offenses here because Arthur Smith, I think unlocked a lot of things. And I think, the addition of John o. Smith is under the radar, not because he's going to be this great NFL fantasy player, but because of the versatility, the H back, the blocking, the different looks they can throw at you. So it may be just a chaotic enough offense that they may eat, Even if Ritter's not a great quarterback, these big receivers may give him a great chance to do well. So again, I'm not going to disagree with anybody on London here because I, I question how much volume he gets. But I think the opportunity is definitely going to be there for potential.
1: Ultimately, I think it comes down to can Desmond Ritter be an average quarterback or not? And that's the debate we'll have. And until I think we get he, to the season.
3: he might not be great, but I think he will at least be average.
1: Nope. Well, and that, that, he if he is be- average. If he is average, you need to be drafting Kyle Pitts in the top five. You need to be drafting Drake London as the top twenty-four receiver. If he is, if he is in fact average, but that's going to be the question we need answered. I want to do a rapid fire here for this next one. Carolina Panthers pick one receiver to be fantasy relevant this year. Go ahead, Jim. Jonathan Mingo. I'm I'm in the same boat, Danielle.
3: Uh, I'm going to agree with you guys because I have no hope in Thielen. Nope.
0: Chris, I'm going to go with Adam Thielen and be the hopeless one.
3: Oh,
1: I think the guys still have something left. We'll have to find out. Let's move into our tight ends, gentlemen. <laughs> Speak of the devil in Kyle Pitts. Now, I don't want to get a hold in a whole other Desmond Ritter conversation. That's definitely going to be part of this and just revert back to that segment with Drake London, and you can fill that in there. But now we have to ask ourselves a question. Okay, where are we comfortable drafting a Kyle Pitts? because he's been going top five the last couple of years. And, uh, well, neither year that's really worked out. I guess his rookie year, he got 1,000 yards, but because he only had one touchdown, still didn't really pay off with where he drafted him, which was in the fifth round or higher. This year, right now, his ADP is at tight end five. I'm not on that bandwagon. I'm at tight end seven. If I got to question the volume, question Ritter, question everything else about Drake London, I'm making those same exact question marks about Kyle Pitts. And so far... Even last year, yes, it was only five games, but he still wasn't getting targeted in the end zone enough. He was getting targeted between the 20s. Mariota made sure that, but still not inside the 20 enough. And that's where my problem ultimately is with Kyle Pitts. There's actually a good amount of tight ends I like. I'm not willing to draft him higher than seven. What do you think, Jim? Yeah, I have mid tight end seven as well. Look, he's a generational talent. And it's like, how do you pass on this guy?
2: But if... Arthur Smith had no inclination to feature him last year when Drake London was a rookie and still learning things. I I can't count on him to use him because ultimately he wants his tight ends to block a lot and they'll get some receptions. I just don't think that the, the tight end position in this offense is going to be one that's heavily featured. So it's not because of talent.
1: I love that. I'm out on pits. And they, they even tried to flex him outside last year, and they, they still didn't do a good enough job getting him the football. I mean, Danielle, let me ask you this. Right now I have George Kittle in front of him. I have Dallas Goddard in front of him. I have Darren Waller in front of him. And then, of course, I have Hawkinson, Andrews, and Travis Kelsey, which is about where the consensus is on those people. Is there anyone in that list that you would take Kyle Pitts over?
3: I would consider taking Kyle Pitts over Goddard, but that's it. And I'm just always kind of low on Goddard. So that's just my own personal hatred. It's not literally anything else. Um, But I do agree with you guys around the ranking of Kyle Pitts. Also, just to throw in another thing, just to be a little bit more doubtful on him, is he is coming back from an injury, and he hasn't participated in anything so far. He hasn't been at mini camps. He hasn't been at OTAs. He's been still doing his recovery on his own, which is great. He does need to recover. However... It's not looking like he's going to be fully ready for the beginning of the season, which might be why they picked up new in the off season. And you do have to wonder that.
1: Chris, where are you?
0: I'm feeling torn here. I mean, Jim, I think you talked about Jimmy Smith and the impact he's going to have, and I think he got paid to go to New England because he did pretty good our Arthur Smith, and he was the tight end position was utilized in Tennessee. Um, you know, we saw Orlando Pruitt, we saw Firkster different guys to actually be productive in the Tennessee tight end position. So while well, I'm excited about Kyle Pitts in a sense of going back to the position of football, I think the problem that Jim alluded to was Bart Smith wants to tight end to block. Kyle Pitts doesn't block. That's the problem. And that's why you didn't really seem utilized in the red zone like you probably hoped to. But, Dan, you talked about, you know, coming into the draft that one year where Jamar Chase or Kyle Pitts at receiver, and your, your perspective was Kyle Pitts could be a starting receiver in the NFL and he should go very high as such. I think he's going to get that chance in a sense to do this, this year. With the, you know, like I keep talking about that second receiver in Atlanta. I think that's just a fairy tale. People need to you know, get over and realize there's a lot of different guys that are going to fill that role. Cal Pitts is going to be one of them. So uh, there's a couple of guys on that list. I'll take them over. One's Darren Waller, been healthy for an entire season. Um, I saw Hawkinson do really well last year, but I also know that they add another receiver in Minnesota. So maybe it's not going to be all just him and the second receiver. I was how Higginson fall off the, fall off the, the my radar last year. We thought he was gonna be somebody because he had a really good stretch for end and the season year before. And then when you have different playmakers and you're trying to get Al Robinson the ball, different guys to the ball, you forget about your tight end sometimes. I think Kyle Pitts, while I agree with Daniel, it's gonna hurt him being away right now, it's due to injury, it's not because he's you know not being there for it. he doesn't want to be part of the team. I think this team has a very clear cut of what they want to build and what they're doing forward. I think that's why you saw you know a lot of the quarterback talk with them to Desmond Ritter. They have an idea of what they want to do. I think how is a big part of that and realizing that it isn't necessarily the tight end. They want him to be Gange news, but can do the little dirty things. Now cup can be freed up to kind of be that receiver. They probably really is.
3: Okay.
1: Okay. Chris staying on brand with this Atlanta Falcons love. It's fine. That's fine. <laughs> All right, so I just want to make one quick note, because we don't care about Hayden Hurst, but I do want to just get a couple sentences out of Jim when it comes to the Saints tight ends. The first one, as a fellow projector, man, when you look at Taysom Hill, do you want to shoot yourself in the head? Because I want to shoot myself in the head.
2: <laughs> well, living around Chicago, I don't want to talk about guns, because there's too much of that going on around here. <laughs> Chicago area. But, um, you know, Taysom Hill is going to be 33 this year, and how much are we going to keep using this guy? He's got to be near the cliff, right? I mean, is Taysom Hill going to be the guy at 33? I mean, he was okay last year, right, when he rushed the ball, 96 rushing attempts, and if Kamara misses time, he's going to be part of that equation, although Jamal Williams probably gets in the mix because he does everything the coaches love. He's a coach's dream. So I think Taysom Hill, he's that guy. They're in a tight end, right? You don't care if it's an up-and-down trajectory. So – Go ahead, make him your tight end too late. throw. I have no problem with that. But Juwan Johnson is is the guy I'm excited about. He was that converted college receiver, and you know, those guys take three years. And what was last year? His third year. And he ends up, you know, 500 yards, seven touchdowns. He had a really good stretch of play in the middle of the season. And I talked about Derek Carr earlier. Well, Juwan Johnson is going to be a staple for him because if the pass rush is coming and Juwan Johnson's leaking out over the middle, down the seam. Those are the throws he's going to make. Um, he, he made a living throwing to Darren Waller. Now, Juwan Johnson is not Darren Waller, all Though, right? Don't, let's not confuse that. But that area of the field, Juwan Johnson is going to be a staple for Derek Carr. I love Juwan Johnson at his ADP.
1: Okay. Well, let me ask you this then, because the one of the reasons I'm struggling with Juwan Johnson his ADP is I worry a little bit about the rapport that Foster Moreau and Derek Carr might already have.
2: Yeah, I think Foster Moreau is there to be the blocker. Look, this team saw what Juwan Johnson was as a receiver last year. And like I said, they know he's that converted college receiver. They know what they were able to do and progress him through three years. I think Juwan Johnson has not even reached his apex close yet i think he was a guy who was going to be a really good player if it worked out right and i think last year was the beginning of the breakout and and i you know you don't like switching quarterbacks but for this situation i i think it's fine you're right about the chemistry of moreau but i just don't think moreau and I, whatever health issue moreau has he sounds like he's fine but there could be an issue with him in conditioning but again i think moreau is going to block and juan is going to be the receiver
1: I tend to agree, and this is a team that likes to go 12 personnel, especially inside the red zone, which is why Juwan Johnson was a top-12 tight end last year. I like him a lot more in best ball and DFS. A lot of times, though, maybe he takes that next step up that you're talking about, but we've seen it with Robert Tanyan and some other guys. When they have that outrageous touchdown rate, we usually see it regress a little bit the following year, and that's another reason because he's not a big target guy that I'm not really necessarily harping in on him in redraft leagues and best ball later on for the most part. But let's get to our over-unders. Walk him in. It's a all right, this is where we make some money. I felt really good about the NFC North bets that we made, by the way, because I'm all over the Vikings winning that division. I can't believe Vegas has the trait, but I, I, I have to get off of that. This is, it just drives me nuts every time I see it. Let's talk about the Falcons. So this should be good because we've been we've been all over the board when it comes to the Falcons <laughs> players. Let's see where we're at when it comes to Vegas. Vegas has them an 8.5. That's their over-under mark. Now, if you pick the over, it's minus 120. If you pick the under, it's plus 100. Spoiler alert, I'm staying on brand, and I'm taking the under with the even money because I'm not a believer in Desmond Ritter, nor do I believe in the creativity of an Arthur Smith. We'll go Jim, Danielle, and then Chris.
2: I think uh, the people beneath me on the screen will be with me on this. I'm going to take the over. I I just do think that offensive line is really good. I think they are going to be very competitive, and I think they're going to win a number of close games. And eight and a half in a 17-game season, that really tips it for me. I think they go barely over.
1: Danielle?
3: I think they get at least nine. I think they might be capping out at nine, but I think they'll get at least nine. And we don't talk about their defense because it's not relevant for fantasy, but I think their defense is going to be good. So that's definitely helping me out there.
1: They're going to have to get better than last year. That, that's for sure. Chris. Clay is
3: Campbell, man.
0: I'm going to definitely go on the over. I, I'm bullish in Atlanta in general. I think the team, uh, you know, Jim t- talked about the offense, what they could do. And I think, and I'm not saying office has to be super creative. Greg Roman, as a, you know, as a 49er fan, you know was the most creative guy, but that Raven offense was humming those first couple of years. So
3: mm-hmm. you kind of
0: beat by storm with different kind of personnel and different usages. Guys, sometimes you catch guys off guard and look good. I'm excited like for this Atlanta team in general. And I think, to Daniel's point, this defense is definitely underrated, underrated right now.
1: We could have an argument about whether Desmond Ritter's average or below average. He ain't anything close to what Kaepernick was in his prime, and what Lamar Jackson was. So let's, let's, let's simmer back on the whole Baltimore Raven, Greg Roman <laughs> thing. Just, just a little bit. Uh, yes. Uh, I, well, So here, before we move on to the other one, I guess what I'll say is that if you guys have them going over, does that mean you have Atlanta winning the division? Cause the reason, the main reason I had them going under because I have the saints winning this division.
3: No. Saints aren't winning the division. Okay. I don't believe in that.
1: All right, all right. Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll see what happens. Speaking of, let's just go to the Saints. Nine and a half. I'm gonna guess you guys are all gonna be on the under. I am also on the under when it comes to the Saints. It is plus one oh five for the over, minus one twenty-five for the under. Basically, I think the team that gets the nine wins first wins this division. And I think it's only gonna be a nine-eight team. I have met nine, so I got the under here. Jim.
2: Yeah, I think they've lost a lot of defensive infrastructure, some key Players that aren't maybe the biggest of names, but their run defense is gonna take a hit. Uh, I, I think that Marshawn Lattimore is a bit up, and now with their other corners have not flashed enough. Yeah, I think defensively they're gonna be in trouble. And I don't think there's gonna be a high octane offense with their car and the offensive line, especially. So yeah, I gotta go, I gotta go under on them.
1: Danielle, I even need to ask. Yep.
3: Uh yeah, I'm going under. I'm not gonna explain too much because you guys hit on it.
1: Chris. I'm also going to go in the under. All right, let's move into the Carolina Panthers. This will be interesting. Seven and a half. The overs minus one twenty. So Vegas is giving is favoriting Panthers on the over on the seven and a half. The under at plus one hundred. I'm taking the value. I don't think I, I don't even understand how they came with the seven and a half number. I have them at five wins myself projected out for this season. I don't see it. So, I'm the heavy under, and one of my lock bets probably of the preseason so far, along with the Minnesota Vikings winning the division. Jim, what about you?
2: Yeah, I'm with you on the under. I mean, like I said earlier, I like their offensive line, and they've got some peace on defense, which are okay, but it's not a great defense. But, I mean, I'm not going to trust the rookie quarterback and their weapons, the receivers – there are too many gaps. So I just don't think they're scoring many points here. And like Danielle said, once you can throw seven touchdowns or something like that. So yeah, I got to go with the under.
1: They won't win two games. if you throw seven touchdowns. <laughs> go ahead, hey, Danielle. Give me your pick.
3: Not a fan of him, but okay. I might, he might get more than seven. <laughs> just really against him. So I just had to say that. Um, I think, yeah, under, I looked at the schedule. I just don't have hope.
0: Chris? Yeah, I tend to agree with both Jim's and Daniel's point. I mean, I have a little hope, and I look at the team over in general. They have some pieces, and they have a little bit of an identity, but they're just missing too much on the firepower with the quarterback to kind of compete. And you saw you know, seven over seven, eight wins basically the last two years has been a playoff contending team. Carolina's not a playoff contending team.
1: Let's hope not. The, the, the division can make some interesting teams a playoff contending team. That's the unfortunate part about this. Tampa Bay – this will be interesting. Who do we have rated less, Tampa Bay or Carolina? And uh, just just for the sake of maybe stirring the pot at the very end of the show here, I got Tampa Bay finishing ahead of Atlanta, guys. So (laughs) I have the over at 6.5, the plus 120. The value is also on the over, too. I don't think Tampa Bay is that bad a team. I hate Baker, and I've made that clear very, very well tonight. But there's still a lot of talent. There's talent on the offensive side of the ball. There's talent on the defensive side of the ball. This is not... This is a team that can put some things together. Defensively, they're especially underrated. They didn't play up to snuff last year. They had a lot of injuries. You got a lot of leadership. You got guys like Winfield in the backfield who can make some turnovers happen. This isn't a bad team. And honestly, when I look at these four teams right here, Tampa Bay might have the best defense of all four, frankly, at least the most proven one anyway. So I'm definitely taking them over the six and a half. And uh, yeah, I put a little bet on them and finished second in division too at like seven wins. Uh Jim, what do you got?
2: So yeah, they bring they have Carlton Davis and Jamel Dean. They brought Dean back. We thought he was gone. They could cover we got Winfield. I they can get enough done defensively. And, and again, like everybody else. Am I a Baker Mayfield fan? No. But I think they could get enough done on offense and their defense could keep games where they don't have to score thirty points every week. Yeah, I think they go
0: over to six and a half wins. Danielle.
3: I think they'll hit exactly seven. I agree with you.
0: okay Chris mm-hmm. I'm gonna go over as well. I, I'm a little bullish with you Dan. I think the defense is good. I think the offense won't will be average at worst. Um, it reminded mm-hmm. the Pittsburgh team last year so I think in general this tip of eight team is going to definitely threaten that eight victory and I think that's why we definitely go over.
1: Well, there it is. We got your lock bet of the evening. It's Tampa Bay over six and a half. It only took us all show for us all to degree, but we got one on the end. Hey, that's what, that's what a good show is. It's about the bait. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in today I want to let you all know that we are going to be at a special time next week. We won't be back on Thursday night. We're going to be on Sunday morning, July 9th at 10 a.m. Joe Pisapia of Fantasy Pros will be joining the program. So we're working around his schedule. It'll be right after his uh, TV show on Sports Grid, I believe. So we'll be talking to him about the AFC South, another fascinating division. We just got to get out of the South. It's, don't worry. After the South, we go to the West, and it gets a lot more exciting after that. Jim, I want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure getting your perspective on everything. Please tell everybody where they can find you at, something you got coming up you want everybody to check out. Yeah, the main hub is at Jim Coventry NFL. I'm, take, I'm working every day, but I'm taking a little bit of social
2: media hiatus for a week or two. But um, I don't dance, but I do TikTok videos with football information. Uh, we'll be doing Twitter threads regularly. Those will start up in July. But the big one is if you have SiriusXM Fantasy Channel, I will start my show back up Saturdays and Sundays, 1 to 3 Eastern. You can always find me at Rotowire if you're a subscriber. But social media and SiriusXM, those are the two hot spots.
1: I, I will be listening to you on the weekend. That's usually when I'm cutting the grass, and that's usually when I, I listen to you on the SiriusXM radio. Hey, Danielle, do, do you dance on TikTok?
3: I don't. No, I don't think anybody <laughs> wants to see that.
0: <laughs>
1: Where can we follow you at?
3: You can follow me on Twitter, at Danielle Duval, just like you see on the screen. And, yeah, you can see everything I'm doing there.
1: Well, you got, we, we got going on with the Atlanta coverage coming up?
3: Oh, I got all kinds of fun stuff. The NASCAR is coming next weekend. So I'll be at the NASCAR race next weekend. So stay tuned for lots of Twitter updates of drivers and all kinds of fun stuff next week. (laughs) Going in left circles. (laughs) yeah. Oh yeah.
1: (laughs) All right, Chris, you got a show
0: coming up with Adam. No, Uh, no, we we come back in two weeks. So we're still doing our two week, every two week show
3: Uh,
0: this past week. We actually talked about this division as well and one of the quarterbacks and all of the divisions actually and ranked them. So hopefully next week when we come I'm sorry, two weeks from now, um you tune in and we'll be going over the running backs and receivers.
1: Excellent, excellent. Guys, make sure you download us on your favorite podcast app. Subscribe. We'll see you on Sunday, July 9th at 10 a.m. Be good to learn.